Hey, it's Martine. We are so grateful to have you as a listener, and we want to learn more about your listening habits so we can serve you better. We have a survey running right now and would love to hear from you. It shouldn't take much more than five minutes to complete, and you do that at WashingtonPost.com slash podcast survey. That's WashingtonPost.com slash podcast survey. And when you're done, you can enter to win a $100 gift card. We really appreciate your help. Thank you so much. And here's today's show. So uh, we had our involuntary change of employment, if you will, in January of 2021. And I was planning to become a regular person again and stop getting attacked by CNN like they've been doing since 2018 and get a regular job like a regular person and not be involved in political realm anymore. But then some friends said, dude, Peter Meyer just voted to impeach Trump. Why don't you go back home and run against him? I said, okay, that's kind of a big thing. Let me think about that and, and get my ducks in a row and pray about that. And I decided... I've been in the fray for four years already, so I might as well jump back in again. In Western Michigan, former Trump administration official John Gibbs is on a mission. He wants to take down one of the 10 Republican House members who voted to impeach Donald Trump, Congressman Peter Meyer. It's a contest that is pitting Trump against the GOP establishment, but it's also a test case. A test to see whether the insurgent right wing in Western Michigan can bring down the air to a famous Michigan family. And it's a test for the rest of the Republican Party. This Meyer thought he was going to get some free publicity. Hopefully that fake vote will cost him the election. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Monday, August 1st, the day before the primary in Michigan. And today, I'll be talking about this race with Arjun Singh. He's a politics producer on Post Reports. And last month, he spent time in the western part of the state, where one congressman is fighting to hold on to his seat, and the renegade right wing sees an opportunity to grow. Tell me about this trip and why you went there and what you were reporting on. I went to Grand Rapids, Michigan, and originally I wanted to go there because I was really interested in this primary between Republican Congressman Peter Meyer and his opponent, John Gibbs. Gibbs is a former Trump administration official. He's very closely aligned with former President Trump. And like Trump, he says that he does not think that Joe Biden won the election and he fervently believes that Donald Trump did. Uh, Again, that's not true. Meanwhile, Peter Meyer was actually one of the 10 Republicans who voted to impeach Trump. Uh, And the one person who could tamp down the rhetoric, the one person who could have put an end to that violence, uh, the president, he put out that video that said, we love you, you're special, you know, come home. No condemnation, no urge to bring things back. To me, that was an abject failure of leadership and something, something just broke then. That was the one opportunity he had to try to make things right. He's a first-term congressman, so January 6th happened, days within him getting to Congress for Mm. the first time, and this was actually one of the first actions he took. It's being one of those rare Republicans who decided to speak out against Trump, say, look, I think that Trump needs to be impeached. Exactly. And it turned out that in his district back home, this would be a vote that defined his last two years there here in Washington, D.C. But— I wanted to head to Michigan myself because I was very curious about whether that one vote alone would be enough to cost a congressman his seat. 
And I really wondered if there was a deeper story that was going on here. Because, yes, I know that former President Trump has a deeply loyal base. But at the same time, it just didn't make a lot of sense to me that it would be one one vote, one act of disloyalty that could send someone who's a fairly conservative person packing his bags back home. And that was why I headed down to Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I think what I discovered says a lot about the future of Republican politics, not just in Michigan, but across the country. And it also raises questions about whether ideas like unity and bipartisanship are really possible in this day and age. That sounds fascinating. So before we get into what you heard from voters and and what you found on your trip, I just want to understand a little bit more about the people who are running in this race. So this is Peter Meyer versus John Gibbs, who I assume is a more conservative Republican running against him. Let's start with um, Meyer. Like, who was he before 2020? What was his process to being elected as a congressman um, originally? And and how did that all unfold in the first days of his time in Congress? Yeah. So Peter Meyer is from a very well-known Michigan political family. In fact, when you're going to Grand Rapids, it's hard not to notice that there are three names that seem to be on almost every single building. There's Ford, as in former president Gerald Ford, whose hometown is Grand Rapids. There's DeVos, as in former education secretary Betsy DeVos. And then there's Meyer. There's the Fred Meyer Sculpture Garden. There's the Doug Meyer Innovation Building downtown. There's an apartment complex called the Hendrick, which is named after Hendrick Meyer. And what he's perhaps best known for are Meyer grocery stores, which I've been told are kind of like a combination of a Walmart and a Whole Foods. They're incredibly popular and they're all over the place in Western Michigan. I've never been to a Meyer grocery store, but I know how loyal people can be about their hometown grocery store. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, people got people very much love at least the Meyer grocery store. So Peter Meyer is a descendant of this family. He is a combat veteran, and he ran for Congress in 2020 uh, in the hopes of following Justin Amash, the former Republican turned libertarian candidate who decided not to run for re-election. My family's been in West Michigan um, for four generations. Actually, Guillermo, just about the same time that, that West Michigan started to have its first uh, uh, Latino immigration at the turn of the century. The first time I met Peter Meyer was when I attended an event with the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce in Grand Rapids. I hope you do answer our questions very honestly. That's what we are looking for. As a voter myself, um, I just want straight, honest answers. I'll be honest, the tough questions are the easiest for me. Somebody asked me what flavor ice cream I prefer for weeks. It was filled with Latino and Latina business owners, people who had been in the community for generations, and actually many people who had opened businesses with the help of Meyer's grandfather. People there had such fond memories of his grandfather, even one woman who I spoke with, Loretta Sanchez. She told him she remembers him coming to his business as a little boy with his grandfather. He comes from a family that we dear love. I mean, they have done so much for us in this community. I mean, I am proud to have him representing this community. Even though Meyer had somewhat of a hardline stance on immigration, he did not approve of the DREAM Act. He did not approve of how Biden was handling the border. 
he really was able to empathize as a white man with what was happening to the Latino community in Grand Rapids. He talked about his wife, who's a Brazilian immigrant. He talked about understanding what it was like for local businesses like grocery stores, his family's business to try and hire immigrants who don't have the necessary paperwork. And he really sympathized with people when he said that he knows what it's like to see immigration paperwork be caught in the logjam of bureaucracy. Um, I married an immigrant. My wife immigrated to the U.S. from Brazil. Uh, it's I've seen the challenges that her family has gone through, um, you know, and that is something that I, I don't forget. That is deeply, deeply important because I think it's something that elected officials need to understand for the benefit of the community. A lot of people actually, when I spoke to them after the fact, said they were very impressed and felt that he was a genuine sympathetic voice to their concerns and needs. Everything that you're saying about Meyer's background, his family legacy in this area, as well as his kind of personal credentials, I would imagine that he was very well poised to be a shoe-in as a Republican candidate and to be a very popular congressperson. Absolutely. His family are very longstanding donors to the Republican Party in Michigan. Um, Since 2013, they have usually topped the list of highest donors to Republican candidates up and down the ballot, from governor down to attorney general. So Meyer was someone who, by all standards, absolutely looks like someone who would win this seat and would probably be able to stay in this seat for as long as he wanted. But Immediately when he got to Congress, January 6th happened, and he took that vote to impeach Donald Trump. Since then, he hasn't been a bomb thrower in Congress. He's not someone who fights against his party's leadership. He's someone who frequently says that, you know, he's there to try to get bills passed, to get things done. I think the community should hope for a a race that's based on substance, based on policy. I mean, one of the things I'm running on is my record. I think we're on track to uh, pass, set a record for the most bills signed into law by a freshman member in several decades. Um, My goal has been to get to work. My goal has been to hold the line in terms of my principles and values and and not to get blown around with the wind. Probably his most high-profile thing he did besides the impeachment vote, was he took a secret trip to Afghanistan with Massachusetts Representative Seth Moulton Mm. to see firsthand, you know, the mismanagement of the withdrawal from Afghanistan, which he was heavily critical of Biden of. And that has been consistent throughout the rest of his term. He's very critical of the Biden administration on everything from the economy down to immigration. And even in his political positions, he really sticks to a traditional conservative line. Now, that All being said, he did vote for the bipartisan gun law, which many other conservative members of Congress voted for. He also voted for a recent bill that came up in the House to legalize gay marriage nationally. But again, that wasn't something where he was an iconoclast from his party. He was actually joining a lot of other people, people who I would even consider far more conservative than him in approving that. So Peter Meyer, I would say, is a center right leaning Republican But he is not someone who is trying to forge his own identity by making a ruckus and trying to sort of blow up the party, if you will. But even the fact that he's center-right, I mean, it feels like this is the the way that things are playing out in races around the country where that has um, opened up an opportunity for someone who is 
right, right. Yes, absolutely. To try to primary him. And so, so who is Meyer's primary challenger? So the couple weeks later, we got to meet, and we've had him around Muskegon ever since, and I'm so happy. He's going to tell you all about him. Himself. Right, and exploiting the areas where he hasn't been an absolutist of right-wing politics. In comes John Gibbs. My name is John Gibbs. I'm running for Congress in Michigan's 3rd Congressional District, uh, and uh, we're having a blast doing it. I met John Gibbs at a park in Muskegon County where there was a Patriot picnic that was being held for the local Republican candidates. Gibbs is a former software engineer. He's a computer science major from Stanford. He's a black man and he's a devout Christian. He spent a lot of time in Silicon Valley. He worked on the Palm Pilot, if you remember what that is. And eventually he says he went on to work at Apple working on the first iPhone. Silicon Valley is a place that's very innovative. A lot of smart people there starting uh, uh, a lot of unique businesses. And some uh, win, some don't. But that whole entrepreneurial atmosphere is just great and very applicable to politics. Because you are an entrepreneur in a certain sense if you're running for office. So after working in Silicon Valley, Gibbs, who, like I said, is very devoutly Christian, decided to go to Japan, and he worked as a Christian missionary in Japan. After coming back from Japan, he worked more in the private sector, and then he went to Harvard's Kennedy School of Government. And it was after that experience where he says that he really had a chance to go head-to-head with some of his professors, and that he sort of had a chance to hone and sharpen uh, his political rhetoric. One of the things I remember the most is that we had a class where you were a mock presidential candidate, and there are several of us candidates on stage, and the professor, who was a moderator, he goes, Gibbs, my question for you, what are you going to do about gun violence? There's so much gun violence out there. I said, here's what I'll do. I want every woman in America to have concealed carry. I said, this is how you protect women from carjacking, rape, assault, and everything else. And frankly, if you don't agree with me, I think you might be a misogynist. I'm offended now, so why don't you explain to me your prejudice that you're... And he was like, okay, next question. And so you can see right there how those experiences at Harvard really helped him kind of become a political brawler out on the campaign trail. And you definitely hear bits of that when he goes out speaking to voters today. So when Trump was elected, he says he was interested in working for the administration, and he had a buddy who worked for the Department of Housing and Urban Development, which was run by Ben Carson. One thing led to another, and he actually ended up working in the administration for HUD under Carson, and Gibbs told me that he felt that he could bring an entrepreneur's eye in some of these Silicon Valley attitudes that he had developed to housing and urban development. After Trump lost the election, he had to leave office, and Gibbs said he was going to take it easy until someone told him that Peter Meyer had voted to impeach Trump. So when that impeachment came, it's like a punch in the face to all those positive outcomes that were helping everybody, no matter what side they were on. So it's like, wow, this is supposed to be someone that's on our side. Now, yes, the Republican Party is very diverse. We have many different ideological factions, but still, we're in the same party. We don't go and impeach our own leader like that. And he was effectively recruited to move to Michigan's 3rd District. He is a Michigan native, though not of the third district like Peter Meyer, and run against Meyer. 
And what about this district? I mean, this is Michigan, which is a blue state, but I assume that this is if, – if Meyer was elected two years ago, then this is a um, Republican-leaning district. But, like, what do we know about the actual demographics and exactly how red it is? So it used to be a very Republican-leaning district, but when the 2020 census happened, every state went through a redistricting process. And in Michigan, the 3rd Congressional District was redrawn – And it went from a safe Republican seat to one that many analysts are now actually calling a lean Biden seat. The conundrum that either of these guys, John Gibbs or Peter Meyer, are going to have if they win their primaries is that they are going to be going against a Democrat, Hillary Shulton, and they are going to be doing it in a district that is now much more favorable to liberal candidates or moderate candidates. But outside of that, this district is made up of three counties. Ottawa, Kent, and Muskegon. Kent is the home of Grand Rapids, and it narrowly was won by Joe Biden. Muskegon, which is where I actually got a chance to sit down and talk with John Gibbs, surprisingly also swung for Joe Biden, but it was almost 50-50 between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. The same thing happened in 2016. So it's neither a safe red nor a safe blue seat, I would say. And then the third is a place called Ottawa County. Ottawa County is incredibly conservative, is deep red, and is a safe Republican area. But what I find interesting about this is that while the GOP primary may be focused on who can really rile up the right-wing base, considering the way that this district was redrawn, it is going to be an uphill battle no matter which Republican wins. And so Democrats themselves see a huge opportunity right now. They actually spent about $425,000 on this ad buy that some people say actually boosts John Gibbs in his primary against Peter Meyer. Handpicked by Trump to run for Congress, Gibbs called Trump the greatest president and worked in Trump's administration with Ben Carson. Gibbs has promised to push that same conservative agenda in Congress, a hard line against immigrants at the border and so-called patriotic education in our schools. The Gibbs-Trump agenda is too conservative for West Michigan. DCCC is responsible for the content of this advertising. My colleague David Weigel and Colby Itkowitz actually wrote a story about that $425,000 ad buy. And something interesting that, you know, I saw that came out of that is a lot of Democrats are very angry at that strategy because while the party is making their claim that they are fighting against an insurgent right wing, who touts candidates like John Gibbs, candidates who support the baseless claim that Trump won the election, the party itself in an effort to try and flip these seats. And they're also elevating those same claims. And I think it really leaves an open question of what kind of impact is that going to have on the political discourse moving forward if that is a longstanding strategy of the Democratic Party? But also what happens if the Democratic candidate loses? After the break, Arjun takes us into the heart of Muskegon County for a big Republican Party event, where Congressman Peter Meyer was noticeably absent. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
So in trying to figure out how voters in this district in Michigan are looking at this race, who did you talk to? Like, how did you go about figuring out, like, what the temperature is there? So one of the things that I did when I went there was I attended what was called a Patriot Picnic that John Gibbs was going to be speaking at. And this was being held by the Muskegon GOP. Woo! Lovely USA. Woo! Woo! That's why we're all here, right? Okay, and Commissioner Sears is going to lead us in prayer, and then we will eat. This GOP I found fascinating because of the three counties in this district, the Muskegon GOP actually censored and disavowed Peter Meyer. And when I spoke with the county chair, I asked how come Peter Meyer wasn't there. And he very bluntly told me probably because he wasn't invited. So Peter Meyer has been a stain on the Republican Party since his vote on January 6th to impeach the sitting Republican president. With the redistricting in the state, um, it gave has given me the opportunity to vote against him in the state. And I just happen to be the chair, so I'm using the influence of the chair to try to influence this election as best I can. Peter Meyer. So that was a really interesting place because it gave me a sense of who the base that John Gibbs is trying to cater to is. He is right on the issues. He's a minority that we've been looking for, and we didn't have to recruit him. He came in just on fire for Republican values. We didn't and I would say that, you know, among the things that I heard repeatedly, three things were consistently said. One was that John Gibbs is very loyal to Trump. The second, and I think that this is something that I really want to emphasize, a lot of people there that I spoke with really touted the fact that John Gibbs is a Christian and a devout Christian. He's a Christian man. He worked for uh, Dr. Carson and with President Trump. So we need somebody honest in office, and I truly believe he is. But the last thing that I also heard from a lot of people was that they felt very betrayed by what Peter Meyer had done and that they felt that he represented an establishment that some felt had sold them out in a way. He voted to impeach the president. Yeah. And that was wrong. Yeah. He is a Republican. He should have been with the president because the president got him elected in the first place. So why would you say something like that about the president? Another thing that I would say that stood out at this Patriot picnic was, whereas in most races that I've covered and most politicians I listen to, bipartisanship and unity are something that they heavily tout. These people were not interested in bipartisanship or unity. In fact, Zach Laring, the county GOP chair, told me directly, he thinks division is good. He does not want to appeal to Democrats, nor does he think that they should have to. But the rest of the time, I spent a lot of time in Grand Rapids and trying to understand what was going on in Kent County, which is the most populous county in this district. And largely what I found was a lack of enthusiasm around this race. That was the most notable thing when I would speak to voters around Grand Rapids. Either they didn't really know much about the race they didn't care that much around the race, or they were trending moderate to liberal and they weren't going to participate in this primary. And I think that that presents a real issue for Peter Meyer is this lack of an enthusiasm gap. So when you talk about the enthusiasm that people were showing Gibbs, um, at least the events where you saw him, what did that look like? Like, what did you see in, in terms of how people responded to him? The first thing that really stood out as a difference between the two events is that I went to one political event for John Gibbs. I went to one political event for Peter Meyer. 
when I was at the picnic with John Gibbs, it was very easy to find people who were incredibly supportive of his campaign. And people did not need to take their time to let me know why it was. It was immediately on the spot. Here's why I'm supporting Gibbs. He's honest because he talks the talk that he's going to do. But he don't want to be paid for what he's doing. He does what he says he's going to do. That's important was notable at how comfortable people were saying that they were supporting Gibbs and that they were going to vote for Gibbs. Now, one event that I went to with Meyer was at this mixed martial arts gym in Grand Rapids, and that was supposed to be this veterans event that I was told was going to be a really good opportunity to see Peter Meyer interact with voters. Instead, it was sparsely populated. There were a handful of people there. The person that I spoke with most was a gentleman named Tim Fossey, a retired veteran who is very interested in technology, blockchain, and you know improving the economy of Western Michigan. He was able to get a lot of dedicated time with Peter Meyer simply because there weren't other people there. I understand states have their own sovereignty, but I think that kind of sovereignty kind of is infringing on the overall constitutional rights of the working man. Well, it, was, it was actually a similar... It was a similar court case back in the 1930s that led Roosevelt to try to pack the court in the stitch. You could tell that this was supposed to be a fairly big event for Peter Meyer. And you could also see when you get in there that they were setting up food for probably at least 20 to 25 people, if not more. But ultimately, what I saw was about less than a dozen people came out to even see the event. And, you know, when I went around Grand Rapids to various places to try and talk to voters, I really didn't see a lot of enthusiasm about this race at all. I didn't really meet people who were supporting Meyer or interested in what was going on. A lot of people tended to trend moderate or liberal. And it was hard to find anyone who was really able to speak enthusiastically about their thoughts about Meyer. So that's where I would say you really notice this enthusiasm gap. And how is he trying to appeal to those voters? Like, what is he attempting? He's really trying to stake his campaign on the fact that he's a serious candidate. And this comes through in that wherever you go around with Peter Meyer, he's very focused on policy. He's very focused on hitting what he can do in his committees, what he can do in Congress. And as he told me when I asked him what he thought about the fact that Gibbs was really making a big point to say that Peter Meyer shouldn't be in Congress because of his impeachment vote, He said that he is here to focus on the issues and that if his opponent wants to turn the race on that, that's up to him, but that he doesn't think that that's representative of the community. Uh, You know, I have an opponent who kind of goes where he's told and does what or goes goes where he's ordered and does what he's told. Um, And I think my loyalty uh, is to the Constitution and the Constitution alone and You know, I care much more about what folks within West Michigan think than uh, anybody outside the area. He frankly is very dismissive of Gibbs and he's dismissive of people who think like that. And I think that that's the way that he's trying to appeal to people. And Michigan does have an open primary, so you don't have to be a registered Republican. But even though some people appreciated that, there is a real concern and a real question of is that going to be able to match the enthusiasm that the right-wing base clearly has for John Gibbs. But also, if Gibbs were to win and Meyer were to lose, what are the long-term implications of that for this district? If this is a district that is 
seemingly more difficult for for Republicans to win. It feels like this is a tension that's going to keep coming up. If the Republican voters in that district are not voting for a candidate who is actually going to be able to succeed in a general election. That's absolutely correct. And, you know, what I really started to understand is that John Gibbs in his primary is just one step in what people like Zach Laring, who's the county chair of the Republican Party in Muskegon County, see as their real goal, which is to overtake the party machinery in first District 3 in Michigan and then broadly Michigan overall. And Laring himself told me that he was a very controversial person when he became the county chair. There were a couple different incidents where he had been posting very derogatory comments on his social media pages. He was accused of using homophobic language to describe his political opponents. And on top of the fact that he was further to the right than many of the people in what would be considered the Republican establishment in western Michigan, A lot of people really found Laring to be a very belligerent kind of person, someone who was coming into office not to try and make friends, but someone who was excited to engage in this kind of behavior with his opponents. So for people like Laring, their hope is that they can overtake enough seats in their local GOP that the Michigan Republican Party basically has no choice but to be beholden to these kinds of voters and these kinds of attitudes. We took over our GOP establishment. They called it a coup. I don't necessarily, it was definitely not a violent coup, uh, but we took it over through the precinct delegate process. We own this county executive committee, and uh, you're seeing the same push going on in Ottawa County, the same push is going on in Nuevo County, but we started this process early. There is an overwhelming belief that there are enough of these kinds of voters, people who are wanting conservative Christian values, people who are very right wing, who are either staying silent or just simply haven't been activated yet, and that they don't really need to appeal to Democrats. Really, the implications of Gibbs winning is not so much as if he's going to be able to win the district, but what happens to other Republicans that are in this district? Because there are plenty of Republicans who probably don't feel that Democrats do fairly represent them. And I think it's going to put them in a very difficult position of whether to, say, support someone like John Gibbs, even though he touts baseless claims about Donald Trump winning the election. And, you know, he frankly thinks that America should be a Christian nation and have Christian values, including saying things like prayer in school, even if those two items make people uncomfortable, will it make people so uncomfortable, traditional Republican voters so uncomfortable that they won't vote? Or will it force them to swallow a little bit of their pride and cast that vote on their ballot? I think a lot of people are looking at what's happening in Western Michigan and wondering if this is going to become a blueprint for other parts of the country. GOP strategists are surely paying attention to this to see if that hard right base is able to overtake the Republican machinery there. And if someone like a John Gibbs succeeds in Western Michigan, what's to say that someone like him couldn't succeed in Pennsylvania or Ohio or another swing state? And the more that they see them succeed, the more likely you are going to see money channels and money directed towards them. That is something that surely people in other parts of the country are going to start saying, let's try it in Pennsylvania. Let's try it in Georgia. 
And then, you know, what's to say that it won't be able to get to places that are more traditionally blue? I used to work in Boston and I covered Massachusetts politics. The same thing happened in Massachusetts. The party GOP swung incredibly far to the right and they effectively ousted their moderate governor, Charlie Baker, someone who was consistently ranked as the most popular governor in the country. People that I've spoken to who are close with the governor have said that the fact that the state GOP went so far to the right factored in his decision not to run for a third term, despite the fact that he is still incredibly popular in the state. So it's even places like Massachusetts and upstate New York, where I'm sure they're looking at what can happen in Western Michigan and saying, can we do that here? Arjun, thank you so much. This is fascinating. Thank you for having me. Arjun Singh is a producer for Post Reports. He reported and produced this story. Thanks to our colleagues Dave Weigel and Colby Itkowitz for contributing reporting. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was edited by Rena Flores and mixed by Sean Carter. And don't forget to fill out our listener survey. It will take about five minutes, and you can find it at WashingtonPost.com slash podcast survey. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.